0: So let's be honest. Forgiveness is hard. I mean, if it's a small thing, it's not a big deal. But if you've really been hurt, it's hard to forgive. Maybe because of the hurt. But we're called to forgive one another. You can't escape that. But it just keeps going. We're told to forgive our enemies. Jesus spoke in powerful terms when he talked about forgiveness. I had a student in a Bible study one time who said, did Jesus really know what he was implying, talking about when he said things like this? I mean, <laughs> my enemies, it is hard. Forgiving can be hard. It was hard for Corey ten Boom. Some of you knew about Corey ten Boom. If you haven't, look it up. Read her story. Corey ten Boom from the Netherlands, from Holland, we would say, and our family lived there. Christian family growing up there, and then the war started. The Nazis came in, overtook the country, and they did something that was very dangerous. They resisted the Nazis by hiding Jews in their home. They saved a lot of Jewish friends. But ultimately, they were discovered, and they were sent to concentration camps. Corey and her sister were sent to a camp called Ravensbrück, or Ravensbrück. Corey barely survived her time there, finally got out just before the end of the war, but other family members in their camps, including her sister, all died. And even though she had gone through this terrible ordeal, and it was awful, Corey's faith in God somehow survived. In fact, it grew. And so when the war ended, reconciliation, healing, forgiveness were part of Corey's message. And she would go from place to place, traveling in post-war Europe, especially in Germany, sharing her faith in Christ, encouraging people to heal. Now, on one occasion in 1947, she was invited to speak at a church in Munich. And she noticed, as she was speaking in the basement of this church, this balding man in a gray overcoat near the back of the room. She saw him standing there, and then, with horror, she recognized him. She had been speaking about God's forgiveness, and then, as she recognized him, her heart froze. She could picture him as she had seen him so many times before in that blue Nazi uniform, the visored cap, the cruelest of all the guards at Ravensbrück, the concentration camp where she had suffered so much, horrible indignities, where her sister had died because of the way they had been treated. It was bad enough that the man was in the room, but to her horror, when her speech ended, here he comes, making a beeline for her. As he approached her, he thrust out his hand, and he said, thank you for your fine message. How wonderful it is to know that all of our sins are at the bottom of the sea. This is the camp Corey was in. This is part of what it looked like, the indignities that they suffered. And I didn't show you the rest of the pictures because they're awful, as you know. But here's one of the perpetrators who treated them not as people, but as chattel, as vermin, as something less than human. And this man came up to say he had enjoyed her talk. But then he continued thank you for telling us that all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. Remember that phrase, because it really made an impact on him. And she thought, I did say that. I had spoken so easily about God's forgiveness, but here is this man I despised, and really, she said, I condemn him with every fiber of my being. She couldn't take his hand. It was there, thrust out, but she couldn't take it. How could you extend forgiveness to a Nazi oppressor? Now, she realized the man didn't remember her, per se. There were just way too many people in that camp. She was a prisoner among thousands. But then the man said, you mentioned Ravensbrück. Hands still out. He said, I was a guard there. I'm ashamed to admit it, but it's true. But since then, I've come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It has been so hard for me to forgive myself for all the cruel things I did. But I know that God has forgiven me. And please, if you would, I would like to hear from your lips too that God has forgiven me. Can you imagine? Corey recorded her response in her book. She said, I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Corey's struggle with forgiveness is actually an ancient struggle. It's been around since time immemorial. We all deal with it. The disciples did. In fact, Peter, apparently on behalf of the disciples, brings this challenge to Jesus because it is hard to forgive. He's looking for a loophole. So he asked this question, Matthew 18, verse 21. Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, that's not an arbitrary statement because that is the Jewish understanding of forgiveness. The rabbis had this text that said seven times is enough, but eight times, take them out. Well, maybe they didn't say it that way, but that's what it meant, Okay. So Jesus said to Peter, I did not say to you seven times, but seventy-seven times. Or as some translations read, seventy times seven. In other words, there's no limit. And then Jesus says this, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. You have to wonder what... That meant, and I'll tell you in a moment. But since the servant could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payments to be made. is pretty harsh, isn't it? Pay me what you owe me. Can't? Then all of you are being sold into slavery. Debtor's prison. So the servant fell on his knees and implored him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But then that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. We'd call that pocket change, okay? He seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay me what you owe me. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. Now, when the other servants saw this, saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master everything that had happened. So the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant, as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until until he should pay all his debt. And then Jesus says this, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother, or we would say your sister, from your heart. Oh my goodness. That's the standard. And Corey is standing there with this guard in front of her with his hand out, and she can't take it. This story has a perfect way of revealing the character of God. It's what we just sang about, what I talked about, God's grace, undeserved mercy and love. But it is also a model of how we are to treat others who ask mercy from us. We all want forgiveness, when we're the ones that have been wrong, and we're ashamed, and it's a broken relationship. But the question is, are you willing to forgive as God has forgiven you? It's one thing when I want it, it's a different thing when you want it from me. That may be the challenge. Corey ten Boom had witnessed these horrible atrocities from this Nazi concentration camp. It's savagery, it's butchery, and she had, understandably, reasons to be bitter. Now, most would say that her bitterness was justified, understandable. I mean, honestly, who would blame her for feeling this way? And then I thought, what are the chances of that guard showing up, that particular guard showing up at that place in that time? But when you understand the work of the Holy Spirit, you realize that it's not chance which brought them together. Rather, it's that credible unseen hand of God. It's dealing with that place where we're stuck. And with a heart seeking forgiveness and a hand thrust out, Corey found herself much like the servant who had been forgiven that $10,000 debt, $10,000 talent debt. If it had just been $10,000, it would be one thing. But Corey had to decide if she would offer the forgiveness which had been given to her. So how much is a talent? Well, there's different ways of measuring, but when it comes to money, it refers to a talent weight of gold or silver. Now, some people would say typically a talent weighed about 33 kilograms. That's pretty much a standard that's been used. So if you take the price of gold, the international price of gold from just a few years ago, which was $41,155 per kilogram, then we could say that one gram of, or a portion of a talent would be about $38. If you do the math, which I know it gets confusing, but if you do the math, then 33 kilograms, which is what a talent is supposed to be at, would be worth, one talent would be worth about $1,400,000. This guy owed him 10000 I mean, how do you pay that? You can't. He couldn't. So the king had two choices. One was... The traditional, accepted, ordinary way. Throw him in debtor's prison. Sell him off. He's not gonna pay that debt. So make him pay for it. And everybody would have said that's what happens when you you know borrow money and you can't pay it back. However, you borrow ten thousand dollars or talents. But the other option was not the norm. In fact, it probably got everybody's attention, and which is probably the hyperbole that Jesus was using in this story. He forgave him. He canceled the debt. He wiped it out. You know what? I know you owe me several hundred millions, maybe billions of dollars, but it's okay. You don't have to pay it. Really? How do you forgive and wipe out such a large debt? And I think this parable is exactly what was hammering away at Corrie ten Boom. She faced a debt that she was being asked to forgive that was at least that big. The debt of the guard was beyond forgiveness, especially when you think of all who had suffered and died because of the deliberate cruelties of those Nazis. But still, this is the parable Jesus told when he was asked to clarify the limits of forgiveness. So Corey Ten Boom writes that as she stood there before her one-time tormentor, it could not have been many seconds that he stood there hand held out But to me, it seemed like hours that I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever had to do. You realize what this is. This is a watershed moment. This is a make-or-break moment. Things have been going well. She'd been, after the war, going around talking about the love of God. Maybe singing sweet, sweet spirit in this place. I'm out. Isn't it wonderful? God loves us. Jesus loves us. This I know. And then the bad guy shows up. The personification of evil is right there in front of her with his hand held out, asking her to say, tell me how much God loves me, that I am forgiven. It's one thing to talk about it. It's another thing to do it. I knew I had to do it, she said. It was as simple and as horrible as that. But I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. Is that forgiveness? See, one of the things I love about Corey's telling of this story is her honesty. She didn't want to forgive. She did not want to forgive. She didn't have the strength or the inclination to forgive. And most of us would certainly understand if she had withheld her hand. But Corey, long before this reunion, had decided to follow Jesus. And you know she had read this parable. She'd heard it preached about. it's was probably part of her family devotionals. She would looked at this story herself. But as I said at the beginning, forgiveness is not easy. And God knows that about us. Which is why God teaches you about forgiveness by first forgiving you. I say that again. God knows that forgiveness is hard for us, which is why God teaches us about forgiveness by first forgiving you. When we do communion and we go through the ritual, we say, God, Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. It's in that name that we find forgiveness that allows us to be able to talk about even to offer forgiveness. Summed up beautifully in John three sixteen seventeen. 17, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that we would not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn it, but rather that the world might be saved through him. This is not an angry, vengeful God, but a God to whom we owe 10,000 talents plus, Who says, it's okay. I'll pay your debt. But woodenly, mechanically, Corey gripped the hand of this man who intended and committed evil before her. Except, now he's there asking for forgiveness. And everybody's watching, by the way. Don't you know that all these people who just heard her talking about the love of God that drives our sin to the bottom of the sea are now watching as this man stands before and says, can you tell me about God's love? Can you tell me that God forgives me? And the best she could do to this point is just stoically put her hand in his. And she writes, as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and ran down my arm. It raced down my arm and sprang into our joined hands. And this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being. It brought tears to my eyes, she wrote. I forgive you, brother, she cried with all my heart. And she meant it. For a long moment, she said, we grasp each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. And then she writes, I've never known God's love as intensely as I did then. For God's grace, God's merciful gift of forgiveness can never mean all that it's intended to mean if we withhold that same mercy. What's beautiful about this story and what Jesus is pointing to is our own understanding of mercy and forgiveness is not catalyzed until we give it to someone else. We want it, but it becomes powerful when we offer it. It becomes real. So let me ask you a question which may be uncomfortable, may be challenging. But will you consider where or with whom you need to offer forgiveness? Can you take that step? I know it's hard. That's why I tell you the story of Corey. And it may be that you start out with that wooden mechanical offering, that obligatory response to God's command to forgive one another as you have been forgiven. But then the catalyst of forgiveness takes hold and the work of the Holy Spirit springs into your life and your whole being is flooded with healing. Long ago, long ago, the prophet Micah told of God's mercy. And centuries later, this Dutch woman, Corrie ten Boom, is in the basement of a church in Munich and she quotes the prophet. Those words prompted a one-time hate-filled Nazi guard to seek forgiveness and moved Cory to offer forgiveness. So Micah writes, who is a God like you? What do I compare you to? A God who pardons sin and forgives the transgressions, transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance. You don't stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot. And you will hurl all our iniquities, all our sin, into the depths of the sea. Those words changed the heart of a man who personified evil. But they also changed the heart of the woman who had experienced that evil as they stood before each other, they realized that they are both children of God, sons and daughters of the king, both forgiven, and able, as hard and challenging as it may be, able to offer the gift that God had given to them in Jesus Christ. So, my, yeah, we're going to do it now. Is this a good time? Okay. My grandson wanted to come up with me for the benediction. So we offer you grace and a reminder that God loves you unconditionally. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling, who is able to present you faultless before the throne of almighty God with exceeding joy. Unto him be dominion, majesty, and honor both now and forevermore. Brothers and sisters, go in peace and go in love. Amen.